Welcome to Time Out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. I am kind of a touch point for girls, women to be like, okay, well, she did it. That's something I can do. And also more, maybe more importantly, boys and young men seeing that they will work with women when they get to these coaching ranks or professional ranks. Women belong in sports. It's long overdue. You know, we're more than qualified in so many different areas. I am Dr. Dana K. Volker, a passionate educator, scholar, and former athlete helping to construct safe, positive, and health-promoting experiences for girls and women in sport. I'd like to welcome you to an episode of Let's Elevate Girls and Women in Sport podcast series brought to you by the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. Today, we are talking with Coach Emily Engelnatsky, the video coordinator for the Washington Capitals, a promotion that makes her the first full-time woman coach in franchise history and among the first in the National Hockey League. Emily began work as a video coach at the University of Wisconsin for women's basketball and both women's and men's ice hockey, landed a position with the Washington Capitals top minor league affiliate, the Hershey Bears, where she was the first woman to be a full-time coach in the American Hockey League. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So I have to tell you that I When I learned that you played club hockey at the University of Colorado at Boulder as part of the ACHA, the American Collegiate Hockey Association, for those that don't know, I did feel immediately connected because I, too, played in that league at Penn State. Yes, (laughs) I love it. I did not know that. See, I know we're connected. It's like, wow. Yes, I know about that league. It's an important league. Did you have Mo by any chance? And I'm no, I missed Mo. <laughs> okay, okay, because Mo was the head coach of the team that I went to Italy with for the World University Games in 2013. No way. Yes. So oh, how cool? Yeah. So that would that would have been crazy. But he's an amazing human. But that's always like my touch point, kind of to Penn State is that was technically the first head coach that I worked under. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So Mo was there, I think, a season after I was, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I missed out. (laughs) Yeah. So congratulations on your new role. It's so, so exciting. So as a video coach, now video coordinator, can you just walk us through what a typical day looks like? Yeah, it's interesting because we really haven't started yet. We had a week-long development camp, which was awesome to really work with kind of the up-and-coming players, newly drafted free agents out of college. But I think a lot of the responsibilities will be similar. A lot of it is helping Brett Leonhart, who's the head video coach, helping him with pre-scouting opponents. So watching games, marking them, kind of finding any tendencies that I can see just to make his life a little easier. He presents every single pre-scout. So 82 pre-scouts during the season. And for those that don't know, the NHL schedule is crazy. There's, you know, there's back-to-back games, there's three games and four nights. So really my main priority is to assist him and make sure that he has everything he needs. The rest of the coaches have what they need. And then from there, it's kind of, you know, it's running reports, really the coordinator title kind of comes in. So making sure all the laptops are working correctly, making sure the players are getting their shifts the way that they're supposed to kind of anything that falls under like video or ITS, we're kind of the first touch point. Okay. So you are basically doing running reports and collecting data on every single athlete, every single game. 
every single period, every single shift. Yes. It's a pretty significant job. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. And kind of, if I look at it from an outsider's perspective, it is a lot of information. If you look at one of our games, that's, we call it marking or tagging. There's probably hundreds of different tags between player shifts. We call them systems. So different things that the coaches are looking for, there's hundreds within a single game. So if you compile that like I said, 82 games in a regular season, it's a ton of information to go through. So our job is to kind of make that information a little easier to digest if you're a coach or you're a player. Okay. And so essentially putting it in this digestible way so that it can very readily inform decisions. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking decisions in game as well. At the NHL level, we have the ability to challenge different things. So challenge a goal if we think it's offsides, if there was goaltender interference. And so one of my jobs this season will be to run the replay system and basically looking at everything. If a play was offsides and just reviewing that and getting that information to the coaches, if it's anything close, making sure we look at it a bunch of different ways. So It's a pretty high pressure situation. I was just going to ask. It sounds like a high pressure situation. And I was just going to ask. So how do you sort of handle that? Because it sounds like it's a fluid process that you're making. You're providing information that's going to make a game time decision. Yeah, I think in general, just being confident. I have this position for a reason. And these were things that were talked about in the interview process. You know, this was known to be part of my job and kind of the same question. How would you handle a situation where there's a a call that might be offsides. And I think in general, I was a goalie when I played. So I'm used to those kind of high pressure situations. You can relate to high pressure then. (laughs) Yes. And so, uh, oh my gosh, I have all the empathy in the world for goaltenders. Yes. And so I'm kind of one of those crazy people that like loves it. And I love kind of almost that like adrenaline rush of knowing like, okay, this is on me. Like I'm the person helping to make this call that can determine an outcome of a game, essentially. So it's just being calm and cool in the moment. Your heart rate definitely gets a little elevated. But I think I always go back to the fact that I'm confident in what I do. I've been around hockey for so long that I know the rules. I know what I'm looking for. And at the end of the day, as a coaching staff and as a team, we all have to trust each other. So that's kind of what I always try to come back to. So Have you ever sort of looked around and noticed, oh, I'm the only woman in this environment taking a leadership position, I mean, with a professional team, no less, a men's team, no less, and thought, oh, I'm I'm not supposed to be here? I think that imposter syndrome definitely comes in, especially early on. Even when I was at the University of Wisconsin, Tony Granato came in. For those that don't know hockey very well, he's almost a legend in the hockey world, their family in general. So The intimidation factor when he was hired as a head coach, I mean, I kind of felt like there's no way he's even going to want to keep me on staff. You know, like, what do I have to offer him? And I think he was actually instrumental in helping me build that confidence. And like I said, just knowing that I'm there for a reason, he wouldn't have kept me on staff if he didn't think that I could do the job. And it was never about my gender. Um, Mm -hmm. It was about, can she do this job? Can she do it well? Can she help this program? And so... I think I took that with me going into like the professional ranks, going to Hershey, you know, every day I look around and I notice that (laughs) I'm the only woman. But again, I just try and have that confidence in knowing like I'm there for a reason. I wouldn't have been hired if they didn't think that I could do this job. And I think a lot of people think like, oh, they're just taking a box, you know, kind of checking that like gender equality box. But I think 
people who really know sports and work in sports know that that doesn't happen. People don't get hired without proper credentials, especially when you're a woman working in men's sports. And the stakes are just so high. Absolutely. So confidence being key. So I I read elsewhere that early on reaching the professional ranks was a long-term aspiration for you. And so you talked a little bit about how you got there, but can you sort of walk us through your steps? Was it just opportunistic? Um, you know, how did you apply yourself in these different facets of your life in order to build to this point in time? Yeah, I think it's an interesting combination of a lot of hard work and maybe a little bit of luck too. Mm-hmm. You know, I in college I was a film production major, so a lot of my classmates wanted to go to LA or New York and kind of get into the TV and film business. And I kind of knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. I grew up loving sports. I played sports. I wanted to work in sports. So I kind of thought maybe I'll work for ESPN, make some 30 for 30 documentaries. But then, you know, I spoke about the 2013 World University Games. And that was just a stroke of luck. My club coach was on staff for that tournament. She called me out of the blue and asked if I wanted to be their video person. And I said yes, not really knowing what that... And looking back now, I had no idea what I was doing because I, in my head, I thought, oh, creative video. I'm going to make pump up videos and kind of document the whole experience, but it was more coaching video. Um, So it was kind of a learn on the fly. Luckily, Mo was very understanding and entire staff, you know, they were awesome and we kind of got... We learned together, but from there, that's when I figured out like, this is what I really want to do. I love this. I love being part of a team and being around athletes, being in the locker room. So it was just learning as much as I could, applying for jobs that maybe I wasn't qualified for at the time. But like I said, I was learning on the fly. There were a lot of long hours, volunteer work, interning, and I knew that those positions weren't necessarily paid, but I figured the experience would help. Mm -hmm. Um, From there, networking with people in those opportunities. So, you know, if I was working for USA Hockey Girls Under 15 camp, you talk to different coaches, they get to know you, doors kind of open in that way. So like I said, I think it's it's a lot of hard work working in sports. People think it's really glamorous and there are certainly perks and all of that, but it is a lot of long hours. We sacrifice a lot of time with our families. We miss weddings, we miss all sorts of holidays and things. So it's definitely a lot of hard work, but I've also been fortunate that I've been able to network with a lot of really great people who have helped me kind of reach my goals. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you've taken some risks, you know, entering into a space where you don't necessarily know exactly what you're doing, but that was sort of that growth experience that brought you to the next level. Absolutely. I mean, even working with women's basketball for my first real job, you know, I like watching basketball, but I never played at a high level. And so they kind of, they took a risk on me knowing I knew the video side of things. I knew the tech aspects and it was an incredible staff to walk into. And actually looking back, it was an all female staff, all female coaches, female director of operations, female athletic trainer. And it was actually such a unique experience for me to learn from them to be okay. again they're coaches in a predominantly male dominated profession you know there's still a lot of women's basketball programs that are coached by men and so they kind of helped me really learn not only you know working in competitive sports but being a woman in a male dominated field right so it's it's kind of sounds like there was this template in basketball that you kind of drew upon and said, okay, 
this is the template I can take with me to hockey and you are it at yeah, this point. Absolutely. I mean, I knew hockey much better than I knew basketball. Sure. So once I kind of knew the ins and outs of, you know, traveling with a, like a college team, a schedule, like a college basketball schedule, which they play more games than, you know, a collegiate hockey team does. So I kind of then once I knew like the tech aspects, kind of the scheduling, how a day to day program runs. Once mm -hmm. I got to hockey, then it was like I was even more comfortable because I knew the game of hockey much better than I knew sure. basketball. And I felt like I could make more of an impact just because I knew the game better and I uh -huh. could, you know, kind of use that knowledge and input. Yeah. So, you know, the importance of becoming a, a, a first goes without saying, and I'm just going to recap this here. First woman in your role in the AHL, first woman in your role with the Capitals and among the first women with a full-time coaching position in the NHL. And to the best of our knowledge, no woman has ever been a video coordinator with the NHL. And so, you know, you're part of a small number of women coaching men's sport and a professional at one at that. And so I, I'm just wondering what that feels like to be one of a few. It's very strange. And like my wife and I like to joke, like if people saw me outside of work, like there's nothing truly like remarkable, you know, like I'm just like an everyday person. I like to, you know, I have a dog. I like to hang out with my dog. I love music. So to me, like I'm just a regular person. I never really imagined myself being the first. It was always cool to think, oh, maybe I'll be the first female coach or whatever, but I never really thought it would be me. So it truly, it truly is a strange experience. And even, you know, when I was in college in the film program, I was always behind the camera. I never wanted to be in front of the camera. So it's like this weird role reversal. Interesting. But at the same time, it's also an honor to be a first of anything. And so, you know, to be able to make my family proud and my friends proud, me it's that in and of itself is a really big deal to be able to, after all those late nights and long hours yeah. and missing things to be able to say like, Hey, it's paid off. And a big reason is because of my support system. So to be able to make them proud to me, that's kind of the bigger deal for me. Yeah. So, I mean, foreseeably they've made these sacrifices with you. Absolutely. You. So when Absolutely. you say long hours, how long are we talking? I, so last season, for instance, I would wake up at five in the morning. Mm -hmm. I was at the rink by 545 mm -hmm. and I would usually get home and this is on a practice day. So I was usually home sometime in the late afternoon, early evening. And at that point you're exhausted. Yeah. You know, it's obviously been a long day. So you have a couple of hours with your family to try and <laughs> catch up, see what's going on. And then, you know, because you're up so early, you're tired by eight, nine o'clock. Sometimes there's still work to be done. If there's a game on that I need to pre-scout, I'm watching mm -hmm. that. Game days, you know, I'm again, I'm at the rink by six or seven in the morning. We have meetings up until lunchtime. Sometimes I'll come home and get a nap in, but then I'm back early afternoon and, you know, a seven o'clock game finishes at nine 30 or 10. And it's another hour, hour and a half from there. So, you know, this upcoming year with the Capitals, our schedule is crazy. We have a lot of home games and then an away game. So it's, you play a home game and then you leave type of thing. So mm -hmm. I think my wife and I are prepared to, you know, cross paths every couple of days. Right. But it definitely, you know, professional schedule is pretty difficult. Yeah. Sounds like though you think it's worth it. 
<laughs> I think it is. Uh, yeah. You know, it's people might think we're crazy. And I think even like my mom and my brother, they hear about these things and they look at me like I have three heads. You know, why would <laughs> I someone, can relate? <laughs> <laughs> why would someone, you know, last year want to sit on a bus for six to eight hours in the middle of the night? Uh-huh. But there's something about loving what you do. Yeah. And no job is perfect. There's always going to be hard times. But I think for me, yeah. the good times, those are so much more important than maybe the harder times. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's fascinating for me because I sit there going at what you've accomplished and, you know, girls and women have a new reference point by which to say, I could do that. So in in many ways, you've sort of challenged society's definitions of what girls and women can and cannot do, what they should and should not do. And so, you know, being a coach in a professional rank, a professional league, it's high pressure for anybody. Do you feel any added pressure then because you're also representing a critical moment in history? And has I, it ever been phrased to you that way? <laughs> because you I've are. thought about it. I've definitely thought about it. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of pressure. You don't want to be the first female coach and then a year or two later, like get fired. That's definitely <laughs> not the way that you think about things kind of progressing, but Again, I always go back to I'm here for a reason. Yeah. I've worked really hard to get to where I am and I'm going to do everything in my power not to let that happen, not to I mean we all have failures, don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, just continuing to remember that I am kind of a touch point for girls, women to be like, okay, well she did it. That's something yes. I can do. And also more maybe more importantly, boys and young men seeing that they will work with women when they get to these coaching ranks or professional ranks. You know, I think there's definitely a difference in even the players. You know, it's it's not abnormal to see a woman in the locker room at practice mm-hmm. in the coaches room during games. So I try to always remember that and not to think about yeah the the negative or pressure side of it. Yeah. Um, and just try to always kind of keep pushing a little bit. Yep. Just keep pushing ahead. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's it's just interesting, you know, growing up and I, I, the f- first part of my childhood, I didn't think ice hockey was a thing for for girls. And then I actually thought it was kind of weird that some girls were playing ice hockey, if I'm being completely honest, just because it wasn't in my frame of reference. And then all of a sudden I found myself an opportunity, but never in my mind did it occur to me at that time, like, oh, yeah, I could I could move up in, you know, hockey as an organization never occurred to me. So I I think for a lot of people, it's just to have that reference point is just super powerful in ways we may never know about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what's the most exciting thing about taking on this role for you? I think for me, it's another challenge. I've never loved being comfortable in a position to me that being comfortable just means it's kind of boring. Like it's the same old, same old. It's kind of why I never wanted to have a regular nine to five job that to me sounds just kind of like, eh, okay. So I think just challenging myself even more, kind of these added responsibilities, you know, the stakes are a little bit higher because it is the best hockey league in the world. Uh, And you're working with the best athletes in the sport. So I love kind of that challenge and that added pressure is really exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you love the thrive under pressure situation, which is wonderful. I do. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. So what advice would you have for those who want to perhaps pursue a similar career trajectory? 
I think, you know, I talked about kind of taking those opportunities, even though they might not look glamorous, you know, going to volunteer at camps. And I think from there, kind of opportunities present themselves, whether it's by networking, hearing about other opportunities from there, and just kind of growing as a person individually and professionally. Um, So I would say, you know, jump at opportunities, even if, like in 2013, I didn't know what I was doing. I said, yeah, that sounds great. You know, Tina Fey, there's a quote, and I don't want to like misquote her, but, you know, she says something along the lines of saying yes, even if you don't know Mm, what the outcome is going to be. Or even if, in my case, I didn't know what I was doing, I still said yes. And like I said, there will be failures along the way. There will be roadblocks, little bumps in the road, but I think overall, just getting as much experience as you can in a number of different areas, whether it's video, whether it's game operations, coaching, just kind of having that vast background. Yeah. I have to ask you this. Being a woman in in ice hockey, what's the most ridiculous thing that anybody's ever said to you? (laughs) I don't know that it's really like anyone said. (laughs) Okay. When I was with the men's team, I think it was my first season just with the men's team at Wisconsin. We were at a visiting school. I won't say what school it is because I don't want to put them on blast. Sure. But um, during warmups, I was going from, I think, the press box back down to the locker room. And I had my credential and the security guard stopped me before I could go to the locker room. And he said, you can't go back there. And I said, no, I'm part of the team. And he said, well, where's your credential? And so I showed him my credential and he said, no, that's not the right one. Like you can't go back there. Oh, wow. And luckily another member of the staff walked by and he was like, oh no, like she's, she's allowed back there. She's part of the coaching staff. And the security guard was kind of like, okay, like (laughs) that's, that's fine. And I actually have a friend who works at that school. So I sent her a picture of my credential. and I said, is this the right credential to get into the locker room? And she was like, yeah, 100%. That's the right credential. So Uh I think it was just in his mind, he was older. He thought there's no way this woman sure. should, should be going back to the locker room. And I think he might've felt a little, little silly afterward. It's, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, it didn't even compute to him that sure. I could be part of the staff. Right. It's just not even a part of a just conscious awareness that this is a possibility. Yeah. And I've been really lucky to work with coaches and staff members that, really kind of, they have my back. And so, you know, in that instance, my coworker was like, no, she's with us, like, let her through. And, you know, when I worked at Wisconsin, and like I mentioned, Tony Granato, who played in the NHL, worked in the NHL, I jokingly called him the mayor because he knows like everybody in the game. And so he would always make sure to introduce me as his video coach or his video Uh coordinator. So I've been really fortunate to work with not only good people, but they really had my back and reinforced that like she's part of she's part of us she's one of us type of thing that's a fabulous strategy is really naming this is this, she is on the coaching staff yes right yes. Uh, I, that just it sounds like that could just be super helpful yeah to help sort of make a statement about it yeah and it, i think it helped my confidence too because yeah. again that imposter syndrome like creeps in every now and then when again you're the only woman in a room full of men Sometimes that you don't know if they're visiting coaches Mm -hmm. or they're scouts or whoever they are. And you have someone who is a head coach and they say, no, she's a member of our coaching staff. Um, Like for me, that just, it helped my confidence too. I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to go there because it's just not automatically assumed. 
Um, But I think probably just where we are is just saying it, naming it was probably a a helpful tool in that way to sort of elevate women and girls in the positions that they've earned. Absolutely. Um, You know, you've mentioned a lot of, you know, mentors and just wonderful supports that you've had to keep going despite times of discouragement to persist, to invest. Who has inspired you most? If you could name one person even. That's hard. So many people inspire me. I think, you know, first and foremost, my parents, they were always so hardworking and they worked so hard to help my brother and I live our dreams. And they never pressured us or pushed us in one direction. They always made sure we were doing things that we loved and we were interested in. So I think just learning that from them to me, like I said, I want to make my family proud. And so, you know, my mom, for sure. My dad who passed a couple of years ago, just making sure that I make the people in my life proud. I want to inspire them as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're definitely my biggest inspiration is my family. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Is there, I've asked a lot of questions. Is there anything you know about you or part of your experiences that you wanted to share that I haven't directly asked about at all? Gosh, I don't think so. Probably a lot, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think I've been really fortunate that I've had a lot of really great experiences. And like I said, I've worked for such amazing people. And I know there's a lot of women who work in sports or have worked in sports who have been in really unfortunate scenarios or circumstances with men or individuals who didn't respect them. Uh, And so for me, I just feel really fortunate that I have not been in those situations. And I hope that's a testament to kind of a new generation and a new way of thinking that, you know, women belong in sports. It's long overdue. You know, we're more than qualified in so many different areas. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that, you know, not only women and girls listening to this, but boys and men, you know, if they do work with women to try and, you know, help lift them up too. Because like I said, it helps our confidence, making sure that you respect everyone, whether they're male, female, whatever, I think is just really important to me. And I hope that's kind of an overarching message. And something that I've always asked is, you know, I just want to be respected. I know that you're not always going to agree on things. You won't see eye to eye on everything with everyone that you work with. But the respect factor for me is just so, so important. And I try to respect, you know, back as well, regardless of, like I said, gender, political affiliation, you know, whatever the background is. Love that message so much. That was really well articulated and something I think will resonate with a lot of people who are listening, you know, just sort of that advocacy to help, you know, make space and then take up that space. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Emily. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening and learning from Coach Engel Natsky. An important question from here, what are you doing in the sports spaces that you're a part of to support the voices, the experience, and the leadership of girls and women? Thanks again for taking time out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on Time Out, be sure to reach out at C-A-H-S timeout at mail.wvu.edu. To keep up with future episodes, 
visit cahs.wvu.edu. Stay active and be well.